would join with me in praying. God has put a word on his heart. I'm so thankful for uh, ministers in the church and people that can teach and preach the word of God. I know I say it all the time, but it, it's a great blessing to, to hear. And he's been seeking the Lord, and God has given him a word. And so I would just like to pray for him as he's coming right now. And Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the word you've given to Alberto to give to us, Lord. It's from you. And God, I pray you'd use him as your instrument, as a vessel, God, of honor tonight, Lord. You would speak your holy word through him and give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and to receive, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to thank uh, Randy for the opportunity to preach um, just the word. And part of this message the Lord had given me um, when I went and ministered at the, um, at the retirement center a couple of weeks ago. And um, Randy had asked me to share it with the church. And um, I'd just been meditating on it and praying to the Lord to just show me what he had for the church specifically. And so he kind of expanded um, the message for me, and, and to be honest with you, it's amazing how <laughs> the Lord gives you a word, but he's, he's really working that word in your heart. And, um, you know, there's a couple things that happened these past two weeks where I was just dealing with things in my heart, and, and you know, and then here's the message, and I'm like, Lord, how can I share something that I'm still learning and I'm still struggling with? But I know that God... Um, has a word for us. He has a word for me, and I pray that it ministers to all of us. And I pray also that as I hear God's word, I wouldn't just agree with it, but I'd ask the Lord to help me to walk in it and to really um, just walk out what he's given me. But if y'all can turn with me to John chapter 19, we're going to open up with this passage, and this is the, the title that the Lord gave me for this message, Facing Our Doubts. Believing what God can do from the hopeless and impossible. John chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 19. And just to set this passage into context, this is um, not long after Jesus had died. Um, the disciples were very confused. They were very distraught. They were very worried. And it's wonderful how the Lord comes at the right time, the right place, and the right way. <clears throat> It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now skip down with me to verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin... One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, and put it into my side. 
Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How many of us are struggling with doubt in our lives? And maybe, perhaps we don't admit it, perhaps we don't realize the full extent of it, but we doubt. We doubt what God says. We doubt what others say about God. Jesus was very direct with Thomas, and he says, Blessed are those who believe without having seen. Doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty, lack of conviction, fear, uncertainty of belief or opinion, lack of confidence in. Thomas told the disciples very directly when they told them what had happened, three basic things. He says, Unless I see with, his, with my eyes in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless I see, touch, and feel, I'm not going to believe what you say. And it's amazing because Thomas was not someone that just was a casual follower. He was one of Jesus' disciples, right? He followed him. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. He saw him raising Lazarus from the dead. He saw him turn water, you know, um, feed thousands of people, right? He saw all these miracles. And he was close to the other disciples. These were his fellow, I guess you'd say, church members, right? And they told him what they saw, but he flat out told them, I'm not going to believe you unless I see it with my own eyes. Unless I feel it with my own hands, I'm not going to believe it. And it's amazing what Jesus does when he comes and appears to him. And it's, the doors are all closed. There's no way for Jesus to physically come in. But all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the middle. And he greets them and he says, peace be with you. And then look, he looks, I bet whenever Thomas saw that, his mouth must have dropped. And Jesus doesn't ignore Thomas. He heard exactly what Thomas said. He hears exactly what we say in our hearts, even though we may not voice it to others. Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knows the doubts that you harbor. He knows the bitterness that you may harbor. He knows the unbelief that you harbor in your heart. He knows all that. And he turns to Thomas and he addresses very specifically, here's the hands, do you want to touch them? Here's my side. Do you want to touch it? Thomas has nothing to say. He basically says, my Lord, my God. He's greatly grieved that he didn't believe. And Jesus had to do that for him to believe. And Jesus tells him, and he's telling us, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen they haven't seen the completion of what Jesus has promised. They haven't seen the completion for themselves of things others people testify. They haven't seen it. They haven't touched it. But Jesus says very specifically, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. 
Why wouldn't Thomas believe what the disciples said? Why didn't he believe what Jesus had promised he would do, that he would rise again? One thing that's pretty clear from the scriptures is that he wasn't there the first time. He wasn't gathered with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He was by himself. We don't know specifically who else he was with. But he wasn't with the disciples. And I don't want to speculate too much into scripture. I don't think it's a safe thing to do. But I would venture to say that shortly after Jesus died and great fear came, the passage says here is that they were very scared of the Jews, of the rulers, of what they were going to do with the disciples now that Jesus was dead. And I'm sure Thomas was very perplexed. He was sad. He was bitter. He probably asked in his heart, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you die and leave us alone? Why? I'll tell you right now, it's a very dangerous place to be by ourselves as Christians. When we're not gathered with the believers, when we're not in church, when we're not in the prayer meetings, guess what starts to happen? A heart can grow cold. A heart can grow bitter. A heart can grow hard. A heart can grow unbelieving. And we're not hearing the word of God. And we're not being encouraged by the believers. Guess what starts to speak a lot louder? Our own heart. Our own thoughts. Our own doubts. Our own feelings about things. And we start to say to God, God, I need to see it with my eyes. I need to feel it with my hands to be able to believe it. Instead of taking God at his word. I pray tonight that my heart doesn't become hard. I pray tonight that your heart doesn't become hard and unbelieving and full of doubt. And you wonder, God, when are you going to appear to me like these others say you appear to them? Some of us would never voice those words aloud, but we say in our heart, we've waited too long. It's physically impossible. I can't believe what these others say. I have to see it with my own heart. You may hear a preacher get up behind this pulpit and say, God will do this and God will do that. And you believe in your heart. God won't heal me. God won't do that. I've already prayed so many times. He's left me alone. But I encourage you tonight that Jesus is looking straight at you spiritually and he's saying, will you believe? Will you believe? Blessed are those that haven't seen and yet believe. You know, Matthew chapter 14, 31, do you recall when Peter was walking on the water? Great miracle. He's seen the Lord walking on the water and then he gets out the boat. And what starts to happen? He gets his eyes off of Jesus and he starts sinking. And I think it's easy to point out to Peter, Peter, why did you doubt? But, but look at what the whole circumstance is. It's physically impossible to walk on water. It's dark. It's scary. And maybe for you, there's great spiritual darkness in you and you doubt. And you start looking at your own circumstances. What does Jesus tell Peter? He says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? God's asking us tonight, why do we doubt? Why don't we believe what he says and take him at his word? I know many tonight, and 
I know for myself, we need faith to believe for many things tonight. We need faith to believe for healing. We need faith to believe for freedom from depression, from anxiety, from fear. We need faith to believe for freedom from a stronghold of sin or circumstances in our lives. Some of us may be praying for a spouse. Some of us may be praying for our finances. Some of us maybe have been praying for a long time for salvation for a loved one. And doubt starts to harbor in our hearts. Unbelief starts to set in. Bitterness starts to set in. Hardness starts to set in. Especially when we see prayers being answered for others around us. And no prayer answered for us. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We must hear from God. And tonight, hearing the word of God, that's what's going to build your faith. Faith isn't just something that we just stir up in our heart. The Bible says very specifically, how does faith come? It comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And why does the scripture say that? It doesn't say listen to yourself. It doesn't say believe in yourself. That's the mentality of the world, believe in yourself. Faith comes by a very specific way. It comes by hearing, and it comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't come by hearing other people's opinions, other people's thoughts. It comes by hearing God directly. It comes by hearing his word. When we stop hearing his word, when we don't attend church, we start hearing other things. We start hearing our hearts. We start hearing others. And we start to, uh, dis disbelief starts to harbor in our heart. Yo, we have to hear the word of God. We have to hear the preaching of the word. We have to hear the teaching of the word. Otherwise, our faith will shrivel. Our faith will shrivel. We have to hear him. And I want to say this too. You know, many religions, there's many religions, many gods that people believe in. Buddha, Hinduism. There's so many religions out there. And they talk about faith. They talk about believing in this person or that person. They start talking about believing in yourself. Biblical faith is different from all those. Because we're not believing our heart. We're not believing what others are saying. We're believing what God is saying. And I'll say this too. It's not blind faith. We're not setting our faith on something that has nothing to rest on. We're, why, why, do, why do we believe the word of God? Why do we believe what God says? Because he's done it in the past. If you're born again tonight, he saved you. There's a track record of God's faithfulness. Look at the word of God. It's full of scriptures, prophecies being fulfilled. So when I encourage myself and encourage you to have faith and believe, it's not a blind faith. There's something we're resting our faith on. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Hebrews 11.1, 1, and this scripture verse, is, it's a paradox, right? It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me repeat that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. When you think of substance, you think of something tangible, right? And when we think of faith in our minds, it's something intangible, kind of abstract, right? Apart from God, it is all that. But when we're talking about faith in God, faith in what he's promised, there's a substance to it. There is something tangible to it because it's God. And he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Something he has promised you specifically, and you know it's something that God has spoken, he will accomplish it. He will do it. Evidence of things not seen, right? That's mind-blowing. How is that? How can you have evidence of something that hasn't been seen yet, right? It's, it's illogical, you'd say. But there's evidence of it because there's a track record, right? God has been faithful in the past, and he will be faithful in the future, right? That's what the Word of God is talking about. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. God is faithful, y'all. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's promised and he will fulfill. He's told you he'll take care of you and he will. God can make possible what is impossible. We cannot doubt. Even for the physically impossible and the spiritually impossible. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. The physically impossible and the physically impossible. Y'all turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at a wonderful example that most if not all of us are very familiar with. But it's wonderful to visit again and apply it to our lives. Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 15. Abraham subscribed as a father of our faith, father of faith. The New Testament talks about a lot about Abraham's faith. And this is a, a wonderful example of that. And I think the struggles that he as just a human and his wife struggled and but believed God for. It says in verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who was 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who was 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Let's step back for a second. I think sometimes whenever we... We read about Abraham and we read these Bible stories. It kind of, when you see the whole thing played out, you kind of think in your heart like, 
I mean, why did, why did Abraham doubt God? Why, why did he doubt him? You know, God was going to do it. And I think it's easy for us to say because we see the end, right? We see the completion of the story. But perhaps tonight or in the, in the future in your life, you're going to come to a moment, a time where God's going to say to you very specifically, this will happen and it will seem very impossible to you. Perhaps it will, it will seem very physically impossible. And it's almost odd how God does everything with Abraham when he calls him out. And he promises to make a nation out of him. He leaves his family. He leaves everything. And you think once he settled into this land, he, he traveled very far, that God would just do what he needed to do. But what does God do? God waits. A famine happens. Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt. There's a great trial of Abraham's faith. There's a lot of fear that comes when he's in Egypt. He goes back, and there's several things that happen leading up to this. And then all of a sudden, God comes and he, and he speaks more clearly about the promise that he gives them. And so all this time had passed by, and you just kind of wonder, I'm sure Abraham has wondered, okay, maybe I didn't hear God correctly. And he waits, and then all of a sudden God comes, and he's very specific about what's going to happen. And by this time, Abraham, he, he literally, he laughs. He says, God, it's, that time has come and gone, right? We're too old to have kids. And he says, okay, here's physically what you can, you can physically use this. You can use Ishmael. But he says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to form out of both of your very old bodies a new life. And not only am I going to give you a new life, Royalty will come from your family. The Savior of the world will come from your family. Amazing. Amazing how God does, thing, God does things. Now God's going to further deal with Abraham, and now he's going to deal specifically with Sarah. Genesis chapter 18. If y'all flip to that next chapter, we're going to look in verse 9. And just to give context into this, this is, these are the three men that come and speak to Abraham. They're on their way to view Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that's going to come. The Lord is among those three, and many scholars believe, and I believe it's Jesus speaking to Abraham. And so they're having a conversation with Abraham. And it says, then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he, this is the Lord speaking, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. God knows our hearts. He knows when we laugh. He knows when we doubt. And Sarah's confessing in her heart out of this laughter, would God even bless me now? Would God even give me the pleasure of a child I've longed for for so long? Why would God do it now? And God addresses her doubt very directly, and she denies it. I think a lot of times we're in, we're in church, we're among Christians, and we don't really voice the doubts that we have. We don't voice the anxiety that we carry. We don't voice maybe the hardness and unbelief that's gotten into our heart. And when we hear the word of God and we hear promises, they just kind of pass on over and we say, it's too late. It's too late for that. It's too late for God to answer that prayer. That boat, that time has come and gone. And God may be speaking to you tonight and asking you, why do you laugh? Why do you doubt? And maybe we're not even truthful and sincere with the Lord and say, no, no, there's no unbelief in my heart, God. And he says, yes. Yes, there is. There's unbelief and then fear comes into our heart. We find ourselves being like that Thomas in the room. And we just say, my Lord, my God. I thank God for these biblical examples because they apply so much to our lives. They apply to our own feelings of doubt. How can God physically do something when it literally is physically impossible? Sarah could not feel it. Sarah could not see it. Her body was past ability, physical ability to have a child. But God had different plans. God had a different plan. Y'all turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and this is a wonderful commentary on the turn of heart that Sarah had. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. The wonderful hall of fame of faith, right? Chapter 11 of Hebrews. It says, through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. How many of us need strength tonight? And was delivered of a child when she was past aged. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. After Sarah had laughed and God dealt directly with that doubt, there was a work of God that happened in her heart. And in her heart, she believed God and said, I'm judging him or deciding him that he is faithful because he promised he would do it. And he ended up doing it. She believed before she saw it. Amen. And it says in verse 12, therefore spring there even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude. And as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, out of that one child 
this great nation of Israel multiplied and multiplied. And after persecutions and near extinction, the nation of Israel remains. The promise of God remains. I shared this before. We had uh, Thanksgiving with our family together and um, just had a family member that's not saved who has uh, Jewish in her. And I gave the example of one of the greatest examples of God's faithfulness is the nation of Israel. You look at their history. You look at everything they've gone through. The odds completely against them. And even in their rebellion against God, God remains faithful and they remain a nation. And the end of the Bible promises even again a redemption of, of them as a, as a nation. Amen. We must believe that if he has done this, if he has done this for many in the Bible, if he has done it for Hebrews chapter 11, patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith, if he's done it for them, why won't he do it for us? If he's promised us like he's promised them, why won't God do it? Y'all turn with me to Psalms chapter 22. And this is a man of God who struggled in his faith. He struggled through little physical battles for his life. And there's a wonderful confession of his heart. And it's also a wonderful prophecy of what Christ will cry out in the cross. Psalms chapter 22 verse 1. It says, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Right? So the psalmist David is reminding himself and reminding God, God, they trusted you and you delivered them. Right? Do that the same in me. Verse 19. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Has he had his prayer answered yet? No, but he's praising God in the midst of the congregation, right? Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor bored the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. God doesn't despise and abhor the afflicted. He doesn't hide his face from us when we cry out to him. God hears, but God has his timing. God has his providence. God in his sovereignty has the perfect time that he'll fulfill that. Amen. And we have to trust him for that. His ways are 
higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. Turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 12. And again, everything we're covering tonight is nothing new. But faith comes by hearing. Amen. And hearing by the word of God. Hebrews chapter 12. So now we've seen the author of Hebrews has gone through all of chapter 11. We just hit Sarah as an example. Hebrews 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All these wonderful men and women of God in the Bible, right? He's the author saying that the big we're encompassed about with the, all their testimonies of God's faithfulness. What do we need to do? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Y'all, tonight, we have to lay aside those weights. We have to lay aside that sin. We have to lay aside that past that's holding us back. We have to run with patience the race that's set before us. Why is the word of God telling us this? Because the end of the race is not right here. The answers to our prayers may not be tonight, may not be tomorrow. The sin that we're struggling with, the weights that are holding us back, they're not going to let us run that race that God has for us. We have to believe that God has his timing and he has his sovereign will. And we have to believe that if he's promised something very specific to us, that he's going to fulfill it. Amen. And look in verse 2 it says, looking unto Jesus. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to our hearts. We don't look even at other people. Even though we have this great cloud of witnesses, who do we look to? Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author, right, or the beginner and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he led by example, endured the cross, despising the, sh the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I just think of that prophecy in Psalms 22 where the psalmist is praying that, God, why hast thou forsaken me, right? And Jesus exclaims those very words, right, in that humanity, Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh. He cries that out, but he knows in his heart, God will raise him from the dead, even though it's not seen yet. Amen. And God can do the physically impossible, but he can also do the spiritually impossible. And we're coming to a close. Y'all turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. The word of God uses possible a lot. Or at least in very important ways. Matthew chapter 19, 
Jesus has wonderful conversations with people that come and have questions of him. They see his miracles, they hear his teaching, and there's this rich young ruler. He's really desiring the things of God. And he asks Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus asks him, have you done such and such? And he says, yes. But there's something missing. Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, if that will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. God is asking each one of us what we're harboring in our heart, what we're holding on to. Let it go. Give it away. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had a lot of things he didn't want to give up. And he didn't go away joyful. He went away sorrowful. The disciples are witnessing this conversation. Verse 23, then Jesus said unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And I think that speaks a lot to not just financial riches, but I think what we consider riches physically in our mind, what we what we hold as a prize, right? If we feel rich in that sense and don't realize how poor we really are, then we can't really follow the Lord. And so Jesus tells them, he, he's showing this example. He says, those that are rich, and he gives kind of this strange example, and this is sort of like an idiom or an expression that they had. It's easier for a camel to go through this very low part in a wall to get into like a like a town or a city. That's what that eye of a needle means. It's easier for a camel to stoop down and go up than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples hear that, they're kind of like, it's very sobering. And they say, they heard it and they tell Jesus, they were exceedingly amazed saying, who then can be saved? God, if it's so hard, spiritually hard for someone to come to that, those terms, who can even be saved? What does Jesus say? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You hear that verse taken out of context a lot, right? People just want to say that part. The part that Jesus says, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. And I think that's a wonderful scripture verse to have. But I think the important context of it is, is something spiritual, right? Salvation for someone, spiritual deliverance from, some, from something that is very hard, very hard, a stronghold, very hard. But Jesus says, with men it is impossible but with God, it's possible. God can free you of something very spiritually oppressing. Jesus can touch anyone 
and make the hardest, coldest heart softened. Amen. He can touch any heart that we would feel it's impossible for God to touch. Let me close with this thought. Y'all, our faith cannot be dictated by our circumstances. Our faith cannot be dictated by our circumstances. The Apostle Paul gave a wonderful example of this. The faith that Paul possessed was not affected by the physical, by the situation or circumstances that he was in. He came to realize that God was above all of that in the plans and the purposes and the promises that he had made to the Apostle Paul. Y'all turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. This is a wonderful spiritual principle that I need to learn and we all need to continue to learn, especially as we wait for God to fulfill what he'll fulfill. Philippians 4, verse 12, it says, I know how to be abased. Do y'all know how to be abased? I don't. And I know how to abound. That's the easy part. Everywhere, not in certain places, not just in church, everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Have we learned everywhere in all things to be hungry? Both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do some things, no, what, is it, what does it say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you just take that one little verse 13, it sounds just like a nice little motto, right? But when you tie it into what those other verses say, it really puts things into perspective, into perspective doesn't it? I can believe God when I'm hungry. I can believe God when I'm abased. I can, believe, I can believe God when I suffer great need. I can do all those things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Christ has to strengthen us tonight. Amen. And he can and he will. We'll close with this passage and finish. Y'all turn with me to Psalm Chapter 36. And I don't know, Misty, if you can come and we'll go ahead and close. After we, uh, we read this scripture verse together, I just want to open up the altar for a couple minutes and a lot of time for us to just spend with the Lord and praying. Psalm 36, starting in verse 5, it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds from here all the way up. Thy righteousness is like a little molehill, is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent 
is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put the trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Y'all, we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to hunger and thirst for the Lord. That's how we're going to be satisfied. Amen. That's what Paul was speaking about in Philippians 4. For with thee is a fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Not in the light of our own heart. God's light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee. And thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Lord, I pray, help me, God, help me, Lord, to remember, Lord, that you're faithful, God. And you can do the physically impossible, Lord. You can do the spiritually impossible, Lord. What's impossible with men, God, you can do. And Lord, and maybe some tonight aren't struggling with that, but they will. I pray, God. That we remember your word. We remember these scripture verses, God. I pray that we'd come to church. We would hear your word. Our faith would grow by hearing it, God. I pray we wouldn't cower down and be isolated from you and from your word and from the body, God. I pray, God, that we would hear your word and you'd build our faith, God. I pray that you would keep us from the thoughts of our own heart, God. I pray if there's confusion tonight. Perhaps we're even confused about what you've promised. Lord, I pray that you would confirm tonight what you've spoken, if it is from you. I pray all doubt, all anxiety, all confusion would fall by the wayside. I pray tonight for those, God, that are struggling, Lord, maybe for so long, and they laugh in their heart and say, God, how can you do it even now? I pray, give us a heart of belief, Lord. Help us to leave everything behind. Help us to lay aside every weight, every sin, God. Help us to lay it aside. Help us to run that race, God. Help us to look to you, Jesus. I pray we wouldn't look at our circumstances, God. We look to you. God, you saved us, Lord. You're the author and you're the finisher of our faith, God. Help us, Lord. Touch our hearts, God. Soften our hearts. I pray we wouldn't be like that Downing Thomas, Lord. Your word says, God, that blessed are those who believe, God, without having seen. We want to be blessed tonight with that, God. We want to be blessed with your joy and your peace, God.